it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our hosts, Sri Raj Gopalan, 
Peter V.S. Bond, and Brian Gildenberg. Explore how brands and retailers engage consumers in an increasingly digitally driven world. And now, here are the CPG guys. Hello and welcome to the CPG Guys podcast. I'm PBSP when I'm not co-hosting this podcast along with my partners, Sri and Brian. I help enterprise brand manufacturers grow their global e-commerce business. Of course, it's Women's Month here on the CPG Guys, where all of our guests are remarkable entrepreneurs and business leaders with compelling stories to share. Along for today's conversations, my fellow co-founder of the CPG Guys, Please listen to his elder daughter, Rhea Raj's music at RiaRaj.com and follow his younger daughter, Lara Raj, as she embarks on her new professional journey as one of the six founding members of the new girl band sensation, Cat's Eye, here to tell us about the fantastic finale of the Dream Academy competition is my BFF. Please say hi to the man known as Shri. Shri, exciting times at the Raj Mahal this past weekend. So much to be thankful for this Thanksgiving. Oh, my God. Now I have to make a laundry list because Laura got on the billboard on Times Square and it was done by a fan, like a super fan. I can't even imagine who paid for that, but some super fan group did. And now they have a fan name for Laura called Raj Berries, R-A-J-B-E-R-R. Raj Berries. I like that. Like Swifty, Raj Berries. Peter, it's an ecstatic moment for the family. It's not every day you wake up and one of your offsprings is part of the next global girls band, Spice Girl-esque. Her journey starts like from Monday. She's got a couple of days off for things. Actually, it's Friday. She's got a couple of days off for Thanksgiving, but we're trying to now really be calm next three days. Count The countdown begins. But what a moment in our household. Like This is a major life change for the entire family. And uh, we're learning by the day. But how interesting. I wish my daughter the best. Uh, when you're part of a global, global girls band by Hybe from Korea and Geffen Records from Universal Music, you know, this is industrial. This is the real it's deal. It's a big deal. So uh, for all of you listening, follow Katsai, K-A-T-S-E-Y-E. They're all over Instagram and TikTok and every social platform possible. And I can't thank all of you for the support you gave by voting for her. And Peter, thanks to you by not just voting for her, but also cheerleading her through the entire journey from 120,000 down to six. Sri, do you think a fan will ever buy us a billboard video at Times Square? We'd be okay with that, right? We, we would have no problem with that. I don't think we need a fan to buy us, Peter. We'll get there organically. We'll get there. I love that organic search. We don't need paid search for us, for the CPG guys. That's pretty terrific. We've, it's amazing. You know, we've grown to over 26,000 followers. It's all been organic. So why stop there? Right, Shri? Uh, hey, uh, before we get to our guest, I want to remind everyone to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. And of course, if you use Apple or Spotify, please give us a rating. It helps feed the algorithm and makes our podcast more findable by other interested listeners. We want to express how honored we are to be rated the number one CPG podcast for two years running, according to Feedspot, the leading podcast ranking authority. And we're also very pleased to have join us in the top 30 or sister podcast, CPG Scoop, CPG Guys Fast Forward, and the FMCG Guys. And of course, we are very honored to be formal sponsors of Next Up, formerly known as Network of Executive Women, whose mission it is to advance all women in business and promote the cause of gender equality in the workplace. Learn more about Next Up. Go to the hyperlink in the digital liner notes of this episode. 
Uh, and you can find about this wonderful organization, its educational and networking resources. Uh, and while you're in the digital liner notes, you'll also find links to both Ria and Lara and their social media personas. So let's get to a very special guest for today's conversation. After earning a bachelor's degree in industrial engineering from Oklahoma State University, where the wind comes sweeping down the plane, she joined what Shri regularly refers to as the world's most elite retailer. Of course, I'm referring to Walmart. Started most appropriately as an industrial engineer. Two years later, she moved into the buying organization where over the next 15 years, she would be promoted five times reaching the role of VP for package goods. In 2019, she left the mothership, traveled down the road in Bentonville to another business unit of the Walmart family, Sam's Club, where she would assume the role she currently occupies, that of chief merchant. A side note, you may remember that we recently featured an episode with her colleague Lex Josephs from Sam's Club member access platform, the retail media arm of Sam's Club. Please Please join Shree and me in welcoming to the podcast, Megan Crozier. Hey, Megan, how are you? Hey guys, how are you? We are doing great. We're so happy to have you. You know, uh, when when your team reached out and said that you'd heard about the podcast, uh, you'd known about some of the things we were doing, and that you had interest in talking to us, we're like, yes, yes, yes. Before we get to the question Shree and I have for you today, it would be great if you would just provide for our audience a brief overview of uh, Sam's Club and what you do there. Yeah, so like you said, I joined Sam's Club back in... 2019. It was actually four years ago this week. So it's been a whirlwind of four years. But Sam's Club, I think you guys are familiar with, we are part of Walmart. We're a warehouse club. We have a curated SKUs for our members. Members pay to shop with us. Um, it's fun. It's fun being part of the world's largest retailer, but it's even more fun being part of Sam's Club at the world's largest retailer. Yeah. And we'll talk about this a little bit, but I mean, I think. Um, after having talked to a couple people at Sam's Club, just the spirit of innovation and community that's been created within this mighty division within the world's most elite retailer, it's really exciting. We're going to include in the digital liner notes this episode links to your LinkedIn profile, Sam's Club LinkedIn page, and Sam's Club website so our listeners can uh, listen and learn as we're going along. So. Without awesome. any further ado, uh, let's kick off the questions. I'll start with one. So as I refer to, you spent um, 16 years in the merchandising organization at Walmart. Big mass merchant, global in scope, sell a lot of different categories and a very large assortment. Before you joined Sam's Club four years ago, which you've already referred to, has a very curated assortment for your members. You're in a unique position to share with our audience. What are some of the biggest differences in the profession of merchandising for a members club compared to a mass merchant or, you know, I oftentimes I describe Walmart as a grocery retailer that sells mass merchandise. So I'd really like to know, you know, from your perspective, one of the, some of the things that really hit you as being a difference between what you were doing on down the road and what you're doing at Sam's Club. Yeah, I think. They're so different. And I think when I came over here, I was excited to learn about the differences and probably underestimated how different it was. You know, in my mind, it was like just another building in Bentonville. And here I am going to go show up at work, you know, a different way, but it is night and day different and so many good things to learn here. But I, I think you said the word, it's a membership. And I think when you think about a membership and 
even think in your personal life of things you're a member of, like your expectations of that organization or that retailer, they're higher. Like you pay to shop with them and you expect to only get the best from them. And I think when I came over here, it's just this idea of like, we are here to serve our members. We're here to be there for them. We want to provide value every single day in their lives, whether it's in the value of the goods that they purchase from us, value in the service they receive, or just, you know, overall value in our membership. So, you know, we're an item business. I think at Walmart, you get hundreds of thousands of items. And here we have about 5,000 items. So very item focused, the amount of detail and attention and, you know, pure like love you put into an item is different. So the relationship with suppliers is different. The relationship with your members is different. The relationship with the operators is different. And it has this different vibe. It's, I mean, it's super fun to be part of a business that items are what you celebrate every single day. So good to hear. And uh, yes, indeed, 5,000 items approximately. That innovation that Peter referred to just a little while ago, Samscov, of course, is very well known in the industry where retail innovation accelerates. Scan and go, you know, it could be scan and ship. They're just a couple that I named. But a lot of it at the end of the day, Megan, comes to your leadership and the culture that you've created for Sam's Club. So what about the culture at Sam's Club makes it so special for nurturing innovation? And how do you ensure that that spirit never dies? Yeah, no, it's something I think we, especially as a leadership team, like keep very like close to the vest because we want that culture to never end. It's what it makes us special. It's truly what's like the heartbeat of Sam's Club. But it's funny, like we always say we're kind of like a little startup inside of the monster Walmart, but we're an $84 billion business. This little startup's doing some big business over here, but it has this sense of like smaller teams, smaller connections. Like, no, there's truly this sense of accountability on multiple ways because we run a leaner operation and we have this ability to connect with our members, which, you know, because you're so connected to your members, you have like a sense of accountability to them. Like you want to do what's best for them and our associates do it's no doubt in my mind that most of the merchants here could like name the club manager because we have 597 clubs. Like you can get to the intimate details and relationships in this business, whether it be with your members or whether it be with the associates on the front line. And I don't know, it's just, it, there's this like sense of family, there's a sense of trust, but we're here to serve our members and it brings us together for a common mission and common purpose. And we hope that we never lose that sense of spirit accountability and because that's what makes our culture unique is it fair to say megan that human beings are the anchor and center of what you just described and as they come in they learn the culture of sam's club and then they actually give back as they stay with sam's club they're actually developing the culture comma culturally yeah no i think you're absolutely right i think when you you think about the world of AI and Gen AI and all of the algorithms, like humanity is actually what we believe is going to separate us in the future, our relationship with our members and really caring about them and delighting them and wanting to delight them on an everyday basis is a little bit of our superpower here. We say we're member obsessed and no algorithm is going to do that. It's truly listening and having empathy with your members and then involving them in the process to help develop great items and great services that they love. They, they get to be part of the culture just as much as the company is. You know, your colleague, Lex Joseph, in a previous conversation with us said that at the heart of how they make decisions about what they're doing is, does the action we're taking improve the experience for the member? If it doesn't, 
the conversation is over. And I think that you, you kind of articulated that to a great degree in your response. So Shri and I, we met over 25 years ago at a company that's now known as Circana, uh, the artist formerly known as IRI. And so insights are at the heart of our professional background. And one of the things that I absolutely love about Sam's Club is just how rich your member insights are, right? A hundred percent. You cannot shop at Sam's Club unless you have your member ID, your card, right? So a hundred percent of your transactions are longitudinally attributable to your members. So I'm really curious from your perspective because your the merchandising team deals very directly with all of the suppliers that are selling through your platform. How does Sam's Club in collaboration with your vendor suppliers partner to really drive business decisions through this incredibly rich insight asset that's at your disposal? Well, I think you're right. Like that's what is one of our like unique, obviously, offerings here at Sam's Club is our member data. But I think the data is only as good as the insights that you take from it. So one of the ways I would answer that is like, how do you partner with CPGs to leverage their data and our data to make the most out of that, whether it's in how to get the product to the member in the fastest way possible, the lowest cost possible, like, but part of our like loop and making sure that we're being efficient or developing items or thinking about ways to add value. So I, I think there's a sense of like, you can trust us because we are so member focused because we have the data, because we know our members, we know what delights them and we feel very experienced and we feel very, um, I don't know, like I think empowered and responsible to make sure that, that we bring that to life with our brands. So it's fun. And I think what we also think about members as they're more than just data though. Like, they're people. And I think that's something that really came to life for us during COVID as it's, you know, when you're trapped in your house working, it's hard to get out inside the clubs and talk to members and talk to our frontline associates. You're having to trust the data. And sometimes we would get lost in like members who just become POS numbers. And it's not, they're real people. They're counting on us to delight them. I had a personal experience, like just to give you guys an example, I bought a blow up pool for my kids. I had a three and a five-year-old when we went home for COVID, very beginning of my you know time here at Sam's Club. And the pool, of course, we couldn't go anywhere. So the bullet pool's in the backyard and we're having fun, but it actually had a leak in it. And I only got to use it a couple times. And so I called the merchant. I said, hey, like my pool broke. And she was like, oh, that's funny. We don't, we ran our return rate. It's really low. And I was like, well, I just threw it away. Like I didn't even bring it back to Sam's club because I just didn't want to. I just threw it away. So like, what about that? And she's like, well, the numbers would say, and I was like, no, 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 no. Let's like, think about the members that were disappointing. Like I'm disappointed that that pool didn't work. So that conversation really let us say our members are real people. And yes, we have lots of data, but how do you think about a member as like a person, not just a data point? And then how do you truly like build an environment and a culture that wants to make sure that every single member is delighted and our focus and our like passion around quality of our product really came to life actually from the pool story. It's very famous around here, but it really set us on this trajectory of members like where our job is to delight the member every single item, every single day. No debate there, Megan. The pool story is actually an important one that reminds all of us that the roles we play championing brands, et cetera, at the end of the day, 
we're all delivering for consumers at the end of the day. And we should never forget that those are individual profiles with need states. And that's what we're really delivering against. And then your example in your own real life situation here over COVID really brings to life what empathy means. And to me, what I take away from that is, yes, there's return rates, there's a data, but there's still probably, if the return rate was 2%, I just made that number up, that's 2% of humans who actually get disappointed and some empathy. Exactly. So, um, that's my big takeaway. Always respect the consumer. But that number could be bigger because like that 2% return rate that Shri had hypothetically mentioned, I mean, it could be a lot bigger than that because like you, you didn't return the product. You just threw it out. So there's a lot of iceberg below the water there, right? So what do you do to try and figure out how big the iceberg is below the water? What do you use as the source of understanding the level of satisfaction or maybe the dissatisfaction with the product? Yeah. So it actually allowed the merchant community to say, what can we look at to give us like real insights into the member? And so we had ratings and reviews and we would look at them, but we weren't passionate about them. So during COVID, it almost became like the window into the soul. What's the member thinking? Because we couldn't see them on a daily basis, but we could read what they were writing about our products. So going into the actual items and being able to read what our members saying, it gave us this insight when we had a good item or we had a bad item. And if you think about it as like, that's an opportunity to get better. Like we could go turn that rating review. We could go turn it into a project to make the item better or walk away from the item. So it just gave empathy. It gave like the sense of like accountability to the members that we didn't have. And right now we have the challenge out there to all of our merchants and our suppliers that we're not going to carry an item below four stars at Sam's Club. And honestly, we've made a real lot of improvement over the last few years being committed to this mind of quality and that the members going to define quality for us. Isn't it amazing how as a shopper uh, or in the case of Sam's Club, a member, you are more willing to trust the opinion of hundreds of people you've never met and their interpretation of a product than you are all the wonderful content that appears on a PDP or that appears on a box, right? It's like, these are people actually bought it and that's what you're delivering to it, right? People have bought the product and they say, this is what I think about it. Wow, that's a really powerful tool to help measure satisfaction because that's what you're trying to do. Yeah. There's nothing better than when members advocate for your own product. It's like the highest form of flattery and compliment for us when members are like, you have to go try this. It just delighted my kids or I can't live without this. We really love when that happens and it goes viral or if honestly, it just shows up in the ratings and reviews because we know people look at them. You know, it's the modern evolved digital world we live in today. It's important that that be preserved because it's a two-way street and members have a voice and they should very much be able to express what they feel, don't feel, what they want to see, things of that nature from the brands that you carry as well. From your perspective, Megan, because you work with hundreds of brands in the 5,000 approximate items you have, what is a successful joint business plan in your eyes between Sam's Club and a CPG supplier? And then what do you expect each of the parties, whether it be Sam's Club or a supplier to bring to the table? Yeah, no, I think it's a great question, Lee. We really want partners and suppliers. Like we truly like want to get past a transactional relationship. Like how are we going to both be passionate about our member together? And what can we do for each other to add value and create value for each other? Because we want a win-win type of relationship with our suppliers. So 
I'd say first key to success is the supplier has to understand and be as passionate around the warehouse model as we are. It's a curated list of items. It's high quality. It's we ship on pallets. It's disruptive prices. Like we're not going to offer something that we don't offer a value to the rest of the market. And it's just, that is the model. And we, we are loyal to it. We're loyal to EDLP. I think you guys are probably very familiar with the Walmart mentality of EDLP. And that's a journey. But I think that's something that we want to build trust with our members over time. We are in a growth phase. We are always talking to suppliers around like Sam's Club is growing. So are you building for capacity? Are you committed to growth? Like we've doubled our business in the last four years. So what if we double it again? Are you ready for that growth? And are you positioning yourself to be able to do that too? And I think like we're an omni retailer. So like what comes down to like you care as much around the PDP content as you do the packaging on the items. So are you thinking omni? Are you thinking digital? Are you thinking about you know how to communicate and provide convenience to members in multiple ways? That's what differentiates us from anyone else out in the club channel space. But on top of that, I think what I know I value and I know our merchants value is just the relationship. Is it transparent? Like is there trust there? Is there commitment to like a long-term investment? Are you passionate about solving problems? We as merchants, we talk about, you know, you wake up every single day and you have to be able to stare at the ugly in your business and you have to want to be able to fix it. And we want suppliers that um, have that same eager because at the end of the day, we're here to serve the member and we should be passionate about their problems and solving them over time. Uh, I want to remind our audience that we're speaking today at the beginning of Women's Month with Megan Crozier. She is the chief merchant at Sam's Club. So how does members mark your private label play a role in your overall merchandising strategy? In particular, how have member behaviors related to the brand kind of changed over the last two years that were filled with supply chain constraints and yet inflation, economic uncertainty? And I've got to imagine also like ratings and reviews in particular play a significant role in the success of your private brand? Yeah, I think um, the journey of Members Mark is one I'm very proud of and very passionate about. I think, yeah, the last few years have been really exciting, but it started probably about five, six years ago. We had over 20 different private labels inside of Sam's Club. And John Ferner, when he was leading the business, said, let's have one and it's going to be Members Mark. And I would say it was a private label until probably a couple of years ago when it started to become what we say a private brand. And there's a big difference. There's something around like your passion around what the guardrails of it, your passion around what it stands for. You care about it with you know so much love, just like our CPG partners care about their brands. Like we care about members mark in the exact same way. But I think it's different than what some private brands might be at other retailers. It's not just a lever. I don't carry you know duplicate SKUs. So I don't usually have one national brand and one private brand item in the club. Like we usually have one offering. Like that's different for us. And it can be not necessarily just like the opening price point. It can be incredibly high quality and incredibly disruptive price. So it's very different than what you might find at other retailers. But the fun part about it is, and we relaunched it just a couple of years ago on Earth Day, is that we call it, it's made with our member and our planet in mind. Our members are creating this brand. Like we almost like crowdsource ideas with our members in mind. And they're very passionate. Like they will give us feedback. They have lots of ideas, many ideas we would never even come up with. They're very creative and they have visions for what we can offer them to 
make their lives easier, whether it be an actual product or like regenerative principles, sustainability. They're really passionate about what they can do for their families and for their planet and leave it a better place too. So we have 40,000 members in what we call our Member Smart community. And we talk to them about everything. We send them samples. We ask them for ideas. We run things by them, like from packaging to flavors, to cooking instructions, to assembly instructions, like they influence so many of our choices. And you know what? They're usually right. And when you create a product with the member in mind, like your confidence level when you launch that product is really high. So we're very grateful that they are wanting to be a part of our everyday lives. And they've made this brand something incredibly special. And I do think it's at the beginning of its growth and it's like, relevance to the Sam's Club community. No debate there that it's become a special brand in the industry. And it was also great to hear you say made for members, keeping the planet in mind, an important mission that all of us should be paying attention to. But in that spirit of making successful brands, successful items for members at Sam's Club, are you able to share any memorable success stories or innovative merchandising campaigns from the time you've been here at Sam, seeing the incredible double the business last few years outcomes you've uh, been able to enjoy? Yeah, I think um, we're really proud of obviously the results, but I think the journey, blood, sweat and tears that led to the results is something that I will be forever grateful. I love watching the team here, how they work together, how they have, we've a common purpose, a common mission, just to truly be member obsessed. And I couldn't give the experience away for anything over the last four years. But I think one fun story is we have this thing, it's internal project, we call it Project Zesty. And we actually, there is a good story around that too. Um, but we actually started to go in other retailers and do comp shopping because like steal shamelessly, copy others, like there's no shame in that in the world of retail. But the sign of a great consultant is never reinventing the wheel. I truly believe that. The greatest consultant ever. So I'll tell you, we were um, in one of my favorite retailers, Trader Joe's, and like they're famous for great flavors and they do seasonal flavors really well. And so I actually took a team, my um, snack and beverage team, and I said, let's go shop Trader Joe's. Like, what do you notice? And they picked up on it. And I think it was around Thanksgiving. They're like, wow, they're leaning into this like apple flavor and like cheddar cheese flavor. I don't know if those are the right ones, but they're like, and you kind of find it all over the store. I was like, yes, like, why aren't we doing this? Like, why aren't we delighting members with something that's exciting and fun and like something that they're passionate about? And I said, you have 60 days to go figure it out. And they just looked at me like, you are a crazy lady. But they took on that challenge and we launched what we called Project Zesty. And our first flavor we launched was churros. It was about a year and a half ago. And we had chips, we had cake, we had, I think, some almonds. And they went really fast, but our members love it. And they've noticed it. They've picked up on it. Like they don't know what Project Zesty is, but they know when we do this right in the club, it comes to life. So we've done birthday cake, we've done hatch chili we've done pumpkin we've done like mint like it's just so fun and it really unites the teams because they get passionate around the flavor and they get really passionate about talking to our members around which flavor do they want next and like they just tell us and so like project zesty has been something i i love and i'm very proud of 
What a great story. That is terrific. Omnichannel is big for us. Obviously, e-commerce exploded during the pandemic as people were practicing their ability. They had to stay home. They wanted to be safe until we kind of got through this phase and understood what the implications of COVID were. But, you know, where does the future of e-commerce and digital shopping kind of sit as this return to stores, return to clubs is occurring to the pre-pandemic level? Is it kind of like, okay, there was a lot of hype and now we're going back? Or is it, no, this is a part of our a standard operating procedure going forward. How do you think about the balance there? Oh, very much part of who we are at our DNA. I think at our core, our strategies around quality, it's around assortments, around price, and it's around convenience. And Omni is a big part of that. And I think there's two parts to it. There's Omni and there's digital, and they are very related, but they're also very different too. So we have a digital relationship with our members and something like Scan and Go, it offers convenience, but it also allows us to get to know them and like understand who they are and what their passion around when it comes to product. But there's also Omni and we have curbside, we have pickup, we have delivery, we have ship to your home. So we can cover all of that. But our goal, we kind of joke around. We say we're the anywhere club. Like we want you to be able to shop Sam's Club however you want, whenever you want. And we want to make it easy to delight you whenever it happens. So I think it's funny. Like we all have terms for it in retail, but like the member doesn't see it that way. They just start shopping and they just expect to be able to interact with the product. And that this idea of convenience is, um, I don't know, it's just anticipated now. COVID, I think, accelerated, obviously, the need for a digital relationship, an omni relationship with us. And I feel really proud that we listened to our members. We We knew it was important to them. And we made some big, bold changes during COVID to accelerate our journey there. And we want to continue to lean into it. I know with my team, like they're omni merchants, but they're still learning what that means. And like, what does a good omni merchant look like? I think probably most of retailers are still discovering what that means on a day-to-day basis. But every week I sit in a room with my site merchandising team, my merchants, my site operating team. And We actually walk, like I do walks in clubs around categories, but actually do walks on the site and we do this digital walk and I call it going shopping and we just start shopping for items like a member. And is it an easy experience? Is it intuitive? Does it bring the merchants like point of view and their expertise to life in the way the member does it? Because you're going to have an omni world. The site better be, it's the landing page for all choices. So it better be a delightful experience. And We've made some really good strides here. We have a long way to go still like from that, but we're committed to it. And I know the member is going to be really excited when we get it right. It's great to hear you in this role as a chief merchant talking about the importance of omni-channel. And by the way, Megan, you're the first person in 350-odd episodes here since we've been doing this three-plus years to clearly call out there's a difference between omni-channel and digital. And it's important to know both and figure out what the solves are as well as deliver for customers, your members in this case. And while some of the omni-channel and digital converge, it's not always everything converges and to keep that mind going. So here on the CPG Guys, the last question we always ask our guests is called CPG Guys Fast Forward. And we ask you to look into the future. And the question I'd ask you is, what trends have you seen in retail that have shaped up over COVID or shaping now in a post-COVID? Maybe it's the last five years such as the Project Zesty example that you gave. But what trends are you seeing that is reshaping the industry? And where do you think that will lead to in the next few years? Ooh, 
Um, I'll tell you, I think we, we've talked about a little of them. Get out the crystal ball. My crystal ball has been broken for the last four years in so many ways. So <laughs> I don't trust it anymore. But I'll tell you what I think. How about we we'll go with that? I think this idea of like work curated, but I think that people are getting like paradox of choice is real. Like we're all like strapped for time and attention, but I think that this idea of truly having someone else help you make your choices for you is, I think it's actually going to get even more intense over time, whether it be TikTok or friends or other members, I think you're really going to want someone to help you make choices and decisions. So I think Sam's Club's well positioned to win in that space if we continue to be loyal to letting our members guide us and making sure that we're only buying the best of the best for our members. I'd also say convenience. I think it's just going to get even more convenient. Like there will always be this new definition of convenience. And if we don't have the ear at the ground, I think you could be left behind in that space really, really fast. And then we've talked about it, but I have this sense of like items being made by crowdsourcing. And how do you partner with suppliers to like take advantage of those opportunities? And I don't know what it looks like, but I think this social commerce and social retailing, whatever that world looks like, I'm excited to be a part of it and figure it out over time because I I do think it'll be the way of the future. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, Megan. Um, Many people are familiar that go to quick serve restaurants with the Coca-Cola freestyle machine, which is you design your own flavor. That is actually a tool for gathering an enormous amount of data. Oh, completely. There is no mistake that shortly after launching that, flavor alterations started to appear in the Coca-Cola portfolio. That was a direct result of that machine entering the industry. So good on you for thinking about how all this is helping inform innovation. I want to remind our audience, uh, please go to cpgguys.com. All of our episodes are there. You can filter the episodes based upon topics like merchandising or retail media or insights or whatever and find exactly the episodes you want. Uh, And while you're there, please drop us a rating and review so that you can, again, feed the algorithm, but share what you're thinking about this podcast because we want it to be relevant to the topics that are of interest to you in the industry. And of course, if you think you or your company has some thought leadership to contribute to this ongoing conversation, drop us a line at contact at cpgguys.com. Tell us about it, and maybe you can be on a future episode of the podcast. Megan Crozier, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. This was an absolutely delightful conversation. You are welcome back anytime you want. Thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. It's been fun. That is great. Uh, Shri. Wow, this was awesome. I would love to hear kind of your summary thoughts on particularly uh, poignant things that Megan shared with us. I got a whole couple of pages here, Peter, so let's see how I do. Megan will judge how I do, but right up top, we started with an industrial engineer, four years at Sam's Club. And who is Sam's Club? Of course, value of memberships, as it's an item business with over 5K items. I loved how right at the beginning, when we talked culture, you said you asked the LT to focus on culture and you keep people close to the culture, like an $84 billion startup. And the accountability is back to your members at the end of the day. And you gave examples of how people know every club's manager. That's unique. And what all that means is it's a family of trust and that the community is what will separate y'all from other retailers into the future. We talked a little bit about listening with empathy, but you also said You're empowered with the member data you have, which actually allows you to understand your members as human beings, as individual people and profiles versus just data coming in. 
And you gave the real life example of the blow up pool, which I thought was pretty cool and how you learned from it. And you bought that culture back into Sam's Club and you started asking, you know, the, the data is one thing, but the reality may be another thing. And we need to have all of us needs to empathy that resulted in us getting into the ultimate way. We all get judged for brands these days by customers as they have the right to, which is ratings and reviews. And uh, it's now a window into the soul of a member and or a customer, which was amazing, too. Then we jumped into the world of your partners, your brand partners, which is JBPs. And what's important in a JBP is creating value from your side for suppliers as well. You know, ask that people be passionate about the warehouse models. Obviously, warehouse models are slightly different, such as ship on pallets. What a great example. As you're going through your high growth phase, you're growing uh, twice as much in the last four years is incredible. And obviously, but that requires capacity from your vendor suppliers. So who's making those investments to get that capacity to match that kind of record growth? And then you close that section out whether you're ready for omni-channel and digital and uh, have a problem-solving mentality, but have a problem-solving mentality for your customer, the member. From there, we jump to the role of private label and how phenomenal the brand has become. But I love that you mentioned it's made for members, by members, and keeping the planet in mind, which we all need to really pay attention to. Uh, then I asked you a question about memorable successes. I love the story of Project Zesty. I won't recap it here other than bottom line, you learned about new flavor profiles by actually going in the market and tasting flavor profiles and understanding what the trends are, which is awesome. There is no substitute to being in retail in-store. Um, then we jumped to what score do you? You talked about price, quality, convenience. And I mentioned you were the first person here on the show in 350 plus episodes to call out that there's actually a difference between Omni and digital, and it's important to pay attention uh, to both. And you did say Sam's is now in, working towards and is already an Anywhere Club and only get better in being that Anywhere Club over time, and that your team, your LT, is actually learning and evolving to what is a good Omni merchant versus an Omni merchant. And one of the ways you do that personally yourself is you do a website walk by going shopping online, you're making strides, but you're committed to the long-term journey there as well. And lastly, we went into trends. There were three distinct ones you mentioned, the paradox of choice. And in this case, uh, that could be TikTok making choices, that could be friends making choices, but it could be artificial intelligence as well. And you felt that you're well positioned to win in that angle. And I'll wrap it up by saying convenience triumphs at the end of the days and crowdsourcing products and uh, what the future of social commerce and social retailing is in the future. Wow. Great summary, Sri. You nailed it. I'll give you that you perfect dismount off of the balance beam. So, uh, Shri, thank you so much, as always, for joining me. Uh, so great to kick off Women's Month with a bang and uh, looking forward to seeing you next week when we're, uh, well, not going to see you next week. We'll wave at each other in the air as we're flying in opposite directions coming out of grocery shop. But That would have been two months history at that point, Peter. I know. But, but you know, by the time this airs, the Dodgers will have won the World Series. So, Yankees, they'll be playing golf in Florida. Perennial dream. It's okay to dream. Humans live on hope. It's okay to dream. I know. Hope and dreams. To our audience, uh, particularly the 25,000 plus followers on LinkedIn, we're so grateful that you come to us for your educational and entertainment purposes. We take that very seriously in terms of uh, bringing on great guests like Megan. So please continue. We look forward to speaking with you on our very next episode of, wait for it, the CPG Guys podcast. Goodbye. 
content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of reference to or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.